Hello and welcome back to In The Clock End, an Arsenal podcast. We hope you're well. I'm pleased to welcome Mr In The Clock End himself back to the podcast this evening. There were a few technical glitches whilst he was loading up and we didn't think it was going to happen, but he is here. He selfishly took time out to get married and go on his honeymoon, so we've missed him over the last number of weeks. But nonetheless, welcome back, Steve. Or should I call you Scuba? <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. For those wondering why I'm asking if he's called Scuba, um, he's now father-in-law. Um, I think that's his nickname for you. Am I right in saying that? It's Scuba was, Steve. Was yeah, it's Scuba, Scuba Steve. Steve. It's all right. Just gonna go with it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But do you have a you know, good wedding? We haven't obviously had you on since. Uh, you enjoyed your wedding and your honeymoon. It was all good, mate. Very nice. Had a good time. You obviously you were there to. Uh... To share all the the copious amounts of alcohol, mm-hmm. the trays of Jaeger bombs were going around. Yeah, trays of Jaeger bombs. Do we have Jaeger bombs today? You know Jesus, what? You, the last, you, the last, the last the hour or so. Hours, yeah, the last few hours were a real blur. I remember being. Yeah. I remember like having a tactical chunder because I drank oh, did a lot. You? Did you? You kept that under wraps. I didn't know about that till just now. So when did you do that? I went to bed and I was like spinning room and I was like. That's not tactical, mate. That's end of the night. <laughs> you know, that's that's the end of it. And I do remember Steph did tell me the following day. So I think you you were sick all down the side of the little uh, pod you yeah, you were sleeping and, in or something. And I, Great way to start I, the marriage, by the way. I'd eaten like a pineapple pizza as well. <laughs> well that's, you deserve that. You deserve it for putting pineapple on a pizza. That was great, clearing that up in the morning. But no, all good, mate. Really good. Very special day. And yeah. Mm. I feel like I've got, got a ring on the finger now. I feel like a fully fledged adult these days. Yeah, it's about time you start acting one, isn't it, really, to be honest with you. But look, there we go. Look, I'm glad you had a great wedding day, enjoyed your, your honeymoon. It's great to have you back uh, on the pod because it has been too long and we have missed you, would you believe? Um, it is hard to believe, I know. But right, let's get stuck into things. Um, we've actually got a really special episode for you today uh, and we've got a special guest on with us uh, for this particular episode. It's a former Arsenal Academy trailblazer um, who was coming through uh, at the same time as one Cesc Fabregas. So without further ado, I'm pleased to welcome to the pod, Ryan Smith. Ryan, good evening to you, mate. Many thanks for joining us uh, for this pod. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, for those of you not too familiar with Ryan, uh, he came through the Arsenal Youth Academy and we're going back a few years, as we were kind of saying before the pod uh, started, you know, myself and Ryan are, are the same age. Uh, so when we look back to our, our youth days, we do have to look quite far back, uh, which is unfortunate. It hurts, uh, but that's just, you know, the natural life path that you have to go on. So let's just get stuck into it because, you know, we've got a few things that we really want to go through with you today. But obviously being an Arsenal podcast uh, and then obviously you're, you're an Arsenal fan as well. Uh, so it makes mm-hmm. your journey that little bit more special, I guess. But um, it, it, one of the things we wanted to kind of look at was going through the Arsenal Academy. Like h- how was that for you? You know, wh- wh- how old were you when you joined the Academy? Yeah, and what was it kind of like trying to find your way through and break through into the, you know, the reserves or even some of the first teams in the youth setups. I, I just love to know like how, how that kind of went for you really. Yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> it was very uh, special for me. Like you mentioned, being an Arsenal fan myself mm. um, and being born literally 20 minute walk from Highbury. Um, it's very special. I actually started off at West Ham 
um, and I was there from eight till nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the funny story is um, they had a new lady join them in um, the admin department and uh, right. she got she made a mistake with my registration papers for the following season um, and yeah Arsenal found out my mum spoke to Liam Brady um, he said do not sign anything I'm coming now I had the registration papers with him um, nice. and then I signed for Arsenal so I've been at Arsenal well I had been at Arsenal from 96 summer um and yeah, back then it was a centre of excellence, um, mm. which is different to what it is now. Um, but it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was a great education, football-wise. Um, and of course, you know, we had a we had Wenger join um, around that time as well. So yeah. things were things were changing, and you know, we uh, we had a really successful period. It was the start of that success. Yeah, the start of the first, those first 10 years out of his 20, wasn't it? Where, I mean, if we all look back now with with the magic of hindsight, you know, we all understand just how good those first 10 years were, obviously from from success for Wenger. But he had great success in his second. And it's just, you know, there wasn't trophies to go with it necessarily, unfortunately. But if you look at some of the job he did in that second 10 years, it was still still top rate. But um, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, though, obviously that that lady making a mistake, though, we we kind of, delighted about that obviously being an Arsenal fan you know to if that didn't happen you know I mean you might not have joined Arsenal right absolutely yeah it, it, it's a bizarre situation um to be honest um mm. but just you know forever grateful for that I mean um one of the scouts well the, the actual guy who scouted me for Arsenal in the first place um he told me that West Ham was so furious with Arsenal that we didn't play any matches between the clubs uh, for a number of years after that no way. Because of that incident yeah 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 so yeah um it was uh, it was impactful yeah no i can say so and when you first joined us i think if we're going back to 96 who were some of the players that we might be familiar with? If, if any, actually, could you know, and you'll understand this even, you know, particularly in the career you're in now as well, which we'll come on to a bit later, but were there any players there which we would be familiar with that you, you joined or were playing with around that time? Yeah. Um, in that period, we, we had um, Mark Noble was, yeah. was with us. Um Jamie O'Hara came just a little bit after that. Jesus, um, we don't we don't like to mention Jamie O'Hara on this. On we this don't. Podcast. We, yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't. But um, you know, notable players that went on to to do something. There were the two that were present in that team back then. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool, isn't it? I'm sure even you, you you kind of like looking back on those times and looking at the players that you were surrounded with. And you know, one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to ask you. And you could kind of look over the, you know, those few years because, you know, there's so much chop and change. Um, you know, so many players get cut or let go from from those early years, probably up until you're about, you know, under 18s. Basically, I know obviously you were obviously trying to trying to get into the first time by that stage. But were there any kind of players who you you saw on a daily basis, obviously at training or even in matches that you thought were were going to be world beaters, you know, they were going to go on to be superstars or something like that and just didn't quite cut the mustard. Was there many of those or even were there any From surprises? A young age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
we had a tournament. We played in a tournament in 1998, just before the World Cup um, in Paris. And um, a lad joined us. No one knew who he was, but he joined the mm. team. Um, and his name was Aidan McGeady. Played that for name Celtic. sounds familiar. Yeah, Aidan McGeady. There you go. That's Spartak, well. Moscow, etc. Ireland. Um, well, I should know that living in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, he was he was unbelievable. And we were, what, at that time, 11. He mm. was incredible. Um, but from a young age, it's very hard to sort of um, predict anything because there's so much physical growth that players have to go through, mental as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, the technical side, you can see from early on. But then, of course, tactical comes into it down the line as well. So... Just in terms of pure ability, he was incredible. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, he was the one that stood out from a very young age. And then as time went on, um, mm. you know, other players kind of blossomed and, and, uh, and started to, you know, show real talent themselves. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you mentioned McGeady. Look, obviously, I've lived in Ireland for 13 years. Obviously, there's a massive Celtic following over here for, for obvious reasons and you know as soon as you say it and you think you know he had that that technical quality right he was always quite a small lad though wasn't he um even yeah. when you know he wasn't a big 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 lad even when he got to you know into first team scenarios as a grown man and but he always had like fantastic feet he was he did so he really, skillful really did. Mm. and he, he, he was always kind of one of those players I hate to say it to any Irish listeners you know it's, you don't have the best national team particularly right now unfortunately but Whenever he played, he did stand out, um, yeah. and he did have great quality. But I always forgot that he went. He went up to yeah. He went to Moscow, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. He's not still playing, though, is he? Surely, surely not. Uh, he, he's not there. I think he, he was playing a League One last time I saw him. I think at nice. Sunderland, maybe. But yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I remember he went to Sunderland as well. Yeah, that's that's a good shout. So going back from you know kind of youth team, um, you obviously made a transition to the kind of first team fringes quite early didn't you um mm. how how old were you when you kind of started realizing that you know i could be onto something here obviously you know you're good right if you're playing at arsenal from a young age you've been there for a number of years uh you're developing quite well obviously i've watched the, a few of the clips of you um playing uh whether that was you know for arsenal in the mls and the feat that you had it reminds me and not to blow smoke up your ass too much but it reminds me of r9 the, you know, the original right. Ronaldo, where you had the quick feet, the chop, um, and, you know, you did a couple of step over, drop the shoulder, and then you're around the defender. But um, when you were kind of making that transition, uh, how did you feel at the time? Because, look, as you just, you know, you touched on, you were making that transition at such a, I mean, how do we even say it? You know, the Arsenal Football Club at that time was transitioning into this, modern beast of a football club wasn't it it went from being a bit you know boring boring Arsenal as we all remember 1-0 that sort of stuff George Graham was all about the hard work Bunga came in and changed the game right not just for Arsenal but for the entire league uh, as we look at yeah. it now but how did you find stepping up and then going into first team training sessions uh, and how starstruck were you with some of the talent that was just knocking around yeah I mean <clears throat> it was it was really, um, it, it, it was very, very tough, first of all. I think mm. people may think about the level and the ability, but 
the demand um, to mm. win, even in training, was mm. super high. Um, and that's what struck me the most um, because I could I could obviously play at that level. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been with them. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, the level of needing to win, like it was a need, it, even in mm. training. That was like a big um, eye opener for me. Um, and that was what impressed me the most. And everyone was had that in them. It, it was just incredible, and it rubs off on you. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, for me, realizing when you know I probably could have been a player, um, mm. or that I was in with a chance, probably at fourteen when I started playing for England under sixteen. Um, yes, you were you were actually part of the England pretty much from under 16, 17, 18s, weren't you? You, you were consistently yeah, well, in the England. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so yeah, it, me realizing my talent at that point, it would have been fourteen and thinking, you know, actually I could do this because. You know, like everyone's determined and wants to be a player, but there's a lot of circumstances around it that affect it. And um, but that for me was like the trigger point for me when I thought, you know, what, it, I can, I can do this, I can do it. And and I just kicked on from there, really. Um, mm. You know, I, I, it's funny because the season, uh, the invincible season in which I made my debut, mm -hmm. the preseason. Um, going into that season, um, I was just on absolute fire. I started, it was my first year scholar and I mm. started with the under 17s. Um, and then I think I was scoring in every game. And then a couple of weeks later, I was with the under 19s. Um, actually, a funny story is I was playing for the 17s in one game and at half time, um, mm. they called me over to play, play the second half with the 19s. So I did and I scored oh, in that game. No, I mean, just, I mean, just the second half in the 45 minutes you've got, you stepped half, up. So I scored in, I've scored in both games in different age groups. And then That's literally, nice. I think uh, it was a week later, um, I was with the reserves. Um, wow. and we played at the Valley and I came on, did really well. Um, and then played the next game um, and the game after that. And I was just with the reserves at this point. And then first team. So within... So what we started pre-season in July, mm. August, September, October. Within three months, I'd gone from 17s, 19s, reserves, to first team, first that's year rapid. squad. Yeah, that's a yeah, rapid transition. Really. You've got to be thinking on your feet at all times. I mean, you know, you, you always speak about that mentality in training. And, you know, obviously, look, being, being an avid Arsenal fan, you listen to the stories, right? Um, and I've read many, many autobiographies of, you know, past players from that kind of era and probably kind of before. And it was just... That's just how it was, right? If you want to, if you want to be in that squad, it's one hundred and ten percent and more. And you, you know, you were expected to compete in training how you would in a match. You know, there's funny stories Absolutely. as well, right? I'm sure we all remember the one of, and it would be, well, it would have been the Colo Torre. Yeah, there you go, Steve. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the, the Colo Torre <laughs> story, um, which, right? I'm sure you're familiar with that as well, yeah. Yeah, and it's just that that level, uh, and Wenger loved it, right? Even though he wiped out the manager, <laughs> you know, still, still signed him. So no, I get that, and it, you know, obviously there was that transition as well um, from the old guards into the new, which you know yeah. it had that grounding, had that stability, but they knew what it was to represent the the badge. They knew what it was to play for the Arsenal, and 
they they drilled that into anybody that walked onto that training pitch, right? And I'm sure even though you you're familiar, you're an English lad, and you know you're from the area, you're a supporter. I'm sure they probably still let you know as well, right? Well, um, there was a situation one time where I probably weren't putting it in enough in training, mm. and um, Keon pulled me to the side and was absolutely killing me in front of everyone. Yeah. Um, which you know you've got to have a thick skin to play this game anyway. Yeah. Some people people go in their shell, um, but you know I took it and you know I deserved it because in that particular session I probably weren't at it like I should mm. have been. But you know that is the demand, you know, and and the, you know they they expect every session one hundred and ten percent, like you said. So that's just an example of what can happen. And then I remember in particular another session I was giving Lorena a hard time in training. Mm. Um, and giving him, you know, with all due respect, a bit of a runaround in one particular session. <laughs> and he grabbed me and said, yeah. you do that again, I'm going to break your fucking legs. So, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like, on my life. Yeah. Um, crazy. You know, so that that is like, but again, I looked at that and I thought he just wants to win. You know, he's just trying to intimidate me. Probably would have That's tried it. to snap me in half, mind you. But, but you know, he, he wanted to win. So, yeah. They like, mad I, feel like, I feel like Martin you... Keown, sorry to cut across you, is such a Jekyll and Hyde character. Like, I've met Martin Keown, he's the nicest, most well-spoken person. So to see, like, obviously, we, we, you know, we all remember that Reed Van Nistelrooy incident. So to see him, like, and hear these things about him being a bit of a, um, a loose cannon <laughs> behind the scenes, is, I, I find it quite fascinating. I think it. some players, like, most players have a... a I'd call it an alter ego when they're on the pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, how they are off the pitch isn't necessarily how they are on the pitch. And with Martin, yeah. he, like you said, was the nicest guy ever. Um, but really and truthfully, we're going to work. And if you're not putting it in, um, then mm. someone's going to tell you. And let's be honest, you know, he's got um, all the right in the world with uh, the history he has at, at the club. Um to, to tell me what he thinks of me not putting it in enough if it's if it's not to the standard so you know I made him I made him right about that absolutely um, the demand was high it was the invincible team mm. um, and if it weren't him it probably would have been someone else yeah they, they pick up on that don't they and I'm glad you mentioned like you know the ego side of the game and it, I think that's kind of it. And you probably agree with this, but, you know, look, as I said before, you know, I never played football to a ridiculously high standard, but like, you know, you're talking county premier, but at any level of football from a young age, I, I just had that competitive nature. You know, as soon as you cross that line, it was a case of, I don't really give a fuck. I just want to win. I don't care how I do it. And if you're not pulling the weight, I'm telling you about it off the pitch, Steve, you've met, obviously, you know me as a person. I'm, Pretty timid. I'm not, not a big built guy. I'm just, you know, I go about my life pretty quietly, but I don't know what it is when you play football, that competitive side of it just, just comes out and it, you, you can sometimes struggle to, to hold it back. And I know even, I'm sure you might have had this as well during your playing time or experienced it from the other side where you walk off the pitch and you're kind of like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, did I say that to someone? Do you know what I mean? Like, Plenty of times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of times, yeah, for sure. So moving on then, um, obviously, as I mentioned, you know, in the intro to, to bringing you on, you did come through with one of the finest talents um, 
that you know unfortunately other clubs got to to bear fruit from as well but we won't talk about that too much but you came through at the time that Cesc Fabregas um, was breaking through what what was Cesc like back then? I mean, my, my first real memories of watching Cesc, just, just for clarification, isn't necessarily his debut, uh, which was, we'll come on to that in a second, Steve will definitely want to talk to you about that. But, um, you know, I remember him bossing the, is it the Community Shield game? I think it was against United in Cardiff, in, you know, in that lovely all blue kit, um, you know, and he had that wonderful mullet, didn't he, back then? Sun Barney, that was. But no, I just remember him, just it opened my eyes. I was like, who is this guy? Like, he is phenomenal. But again, you got to work with him on a daily basis. What was it like to kind of watch him grow into the player he did quite? Again, you know, you just spoke about your own rapid rise. He had one too, right? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, as soon as I saw him play, I knew immediately that we'd be talking about um, a player that would be, you know, whether his legend status has been affected because of I don't know not winning that much or what have you with Arsenal or joining other mm. clubs but in terms of his ability I mean at a young age I don't think I've seen anyone um, so calm and composed and it, it was just phenomenal I, I can't even really put it into words but the guy is just from a different planet um, with <laughs> yeah with his ability and his understanding of the game. I mean, it's pretty evident, you know, him playing at 16, going on to have the career that he did. And remember being young in that invincible team and growing with them, um, mm. you know, different different level of player. Yeah, well, you look at, you know, the the spot he took, really. You know, it, yeah, exactly. you know, we'll all remember he took he took on the the responsibility basically of a very different player, um, but Patrick Vieira. And I always remember, like we all do, um, you know, if we, if we were lucky enough to kind of remember that time at Highbury. But you know, I remember when Patrick Vieira came back, funnily enough, didn't he, to play against this? Um, was mm-hmm. it a quarterfinal of the Champions League with Juve? Yeah. And who showed up that day? Who scored that day? Um, yeah. Tesk, uh, and he just. Had one of those games where you're just like, wow, we thought we'd all miss Patrick Vieira. Very different players, as we know, but we we didn't at that time. Um, we might have done a few years later, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, no, he, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and Steve, I, I'm going to bring you in on this part because I know that you, you know you're keen to talk about this because there is a funny kind of link here. Um, but your debut, Ryan, Steve, I, I'll, I'll bring you in on this piece. Are you talking about uh, the, the Rotherham game, the, the famous 9-8 on penalties? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the famous 9-8 on penalties. Legend yeah. has it, that game's still going on somewhere, honestly. <laughs> um, it was a, you know what, it was a, a memorable game for many reasons, obviously, for yourself as well, yeah, making your debut. Like, you, you literally lived every Arsenal fan's dream that day, you know. Take, you know make, make, make no mistake, you know, what... To, to, to even like you know, step on that pitch for a professional game is just incredible. Um, my memories of the game are like it was all going plain sailing. <clears throat> um, it was Ali Adia scored in the first half, and then it was a not, it was like an 89th minute equaliser. And then we went on to extra time, and the penalties um, definitely got my money's worth, to say the least. Right. Um, <laughs> I remember sitting right in the North Bank, um, right, behind, right behind the goal. 
Um, what, what are your sort of memories of that game and that occasion? Um, excitement, a lot of excitement. Um, I mean, I didn't know if I was going to come on. Um, I had a feeling I might have, um, but when I did, I mean, what a feeling, honestly. Um, so, you, know, you know, going to Highbury and watching games as a kid with school and with my brother and mm. to then being a player there. Um, mm. And in that game, scored a penalty as well. I mean, it was just, <clears throat> it was surreal, really. Um, and something I'll clearly never forget. Um, just really, really special. And, uh, and although it was rather... Uh, Rotherham and um, you know the way we had to win that game it was still special um, I really really enjoyed it and you know I'm super proud to have been um, on the pitch that day yeah, yeah. for sure I've, I've still got the programme actually I, I dug it out uh, prior to recording and I um, this is so funny I went through with a pen on the night and, and, I've, and I've got your name ticked as one of the subs he came off Steve, look, I've just I've just got to throw it out there. So just for the listener, um, so not only was it you know Ryan's debut, it was Steve's first ever Arsenal match that he attended. Um, you know, all the way back then. How old are you, Steve? If you're ticking boxes, I'm saying young. Twelve. I mean, not I wasn't super young, but obviously, like we just going to Highbury back in the day. Mm. Very difficult to ever go, and it was expensive, so. Not being local as well. So I'm yeah. just doing like, uh, yeah, 11, 12. Yeah, I was ticking boxes. I was, I was, you know, full, full tourist mode that night, you know. Absolutely, as good, you would be. Good like. times, man. Good times. It's great. Oh, you know, yeah. such a buzz. I mean, you know, um, especially like evenings like under the lights as well, regardless of like the opposition, it, it, there was always like a, you know, that buzz and that excitement. Um, so it's very special about Highbury, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, under the lights as well, for sure. Um, Highbury was, I, I, you know, we'll talk about it. And, you know, I think it's only recently, I think a lot of us would agree that the Emirates has got to some sort of atmosphere that would represent what Highbury would have been like, you know, back around that time. But under the lights, it was something extra special. But I've just got to ask you, Ryan, what was the, the nervous energy like? around that evening? Because obviously even being on the bench, warming up, you know, being in around the first team on, you know, playing at Highbury, even just warming up at Highbury would be unbelievable for a lot of us, right? But when you got that nod and that that little, you know, being hooked to to come on, what was that kind of the rush? You know what? Um, I, I, I've always been, I've always been one um, where once I'm out and I'm either playing or warming up, um, hmm. My mind's on the game. Um, wasn't nervous at all once I'd uh, once I'd warmed up to come on um, because I knew, like, basically my thinking was everything I've done uh, as a kid playing football, which with whatever team it is that I've played for, mm. has been for that moment. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to let it get the better of me in terms of nerves. So I was prepared for it. I was ready for it. Um, and yeah, the nerves weren't really there. They were there prior to the game. Mm. But, you know, once you get into the marble halls and you go into the dressing room, mm. you know, I was ready. I was ready. Well, just one thing I wanted to ask you. Um, 
one thing that's always baffled me, not baffled me necessarily, but, you know, when you're playing in an atmosphere, if you're playing in the middle of a, you know, a game where, you know, there's a crowd and it's noisy, I've always wondered, like, how hard or easy is it to communicate on, on the pitch when you're playing in the middle of 38,000 fans? <laughs> I've always just wondered, like, how do these guys communicate? Now, a lot of it's, you know, you're just used to each other's games, you, you know, you yeah. recognise certain aspects from training, but, you know, there is a lot of communication, as we know, in football, without it, you get found out, right? So how, how is that? You can hear each other, though. You can hear each other. Um, and there's a lot of telepathic um, things that happen, like you say, understanding your players and stuff and, mm. and what have you. But um, just, you know, um, we can hear each other, though. You know, it's, it's not, it's actually not that difficult. It's, nice. It may seem like that, but it's Yeah, it's it does, not. yeah. I've always wondered, I'm asking it because I've wondered that many times. I'm, you know, I've been in some pretty raucous atmospheres down the years and just being like, and it's different because I'm sat in the middle of it, I guess, right? So you get a different perspective of what that noise sounds like. But I guess, yeah, if you're a little bit distanced from it, even if it's all coming yeah. down on you from four angles, then yeah, I guess you've got that bit of separation. But I've, it's a strange question, I know, but I've always wondered that. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but, so, ba so basically, the, there's no hiding, right? If, if the, the manager's sort of uh, digging you out a bit, you can't you can't pretend you didn't hear basically right if he says something and you're on the other side of the pitch message would get across for either him from either him or pat rice okay so, so you can never play kind of like play it dumb right and <laughs> just be like nah, ignorant, nah, ignorant nah. it might be something very important that they're trying to pass on so you wouldn't want to do that yeah oh, I, I mean it more of a, a case of if you get if, if they're giving you a bit of a bollock <laughs> oh well I mean, well, I told you what Keon's like, right? If he's playing, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you off. anyway. Yeah, yeah, he'll tell you anyway. It's not as if you can shirk away from it. And I guess, I guess, like you said, you know, you've played, you know, for the use to get to that point, and it's just like you don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose your moment. So if someone's given you a bollocking, it's usually no matter how it's delivered, right? You've got to take the take away the delivery sometimes because it's the context of what's being said to you that you need to take on board, and if it's if you're being told you're not playing well enough, then you're damn straight that you want to take that on board and rectify that situation to make sure you are playing to the standard that's required, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Perfect. Well, just one of the other things I wanted to kind of touch on is, and we briefly did earlier, and that's just Arsene Wenger. Mm -hmm. Very simply, what was it like to work under Arsene Wenger? Um, and what... What was the a lot of people learn a lot from him, right? And anybody who played for him said how much they changed them as a person and helped them develop mentally, physically, even off the pitch as a human being. What was it like to play for him? And what did you take away from from the great man himself? Um extremely meticulous. Um, you know, everything is in the details. But I remember for example, that first game, um, he said to play as if you're playing with your friends in a park, you know. So mm. um, there was an element of freedom as well um, with the way that he wanted to play, which is evident in the way that Arsenal played under him. Mm. Um, but yeah, just just a really, just a simple man. Simple man, extremely knowledgeable about football, mm. like ridiculously. Um and someone who, if he speaks, you listen. This is simple, really. Um, not a bad bone in his body. Um, 
and you know like a father figure to to most really mm. yeah a lot of people say that and I, I was lucky enough to meet him once upon a time um on an away uh, Champions League away game at PSV and funny I just ended up staying in the same hotel as the team and you know obviously met him and Pat Rice who was sharing a bottle of red wine um at, at the table and I had a brief conversation with him. What took, took me by surprise was one, how tall he was. <laughs> he was just yeah. incredibly tall. But what took me back the most was just how softly spoken he was. Everything would just yeah. seem like so calm, like you said, meticulous. And yeah, you, as soon as he spoke, you were just like, you know, when you just look up at someone, you're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm, it's like being hypnotized, right? I just, you couldn't yeah. help but listen to whatever it was he was talking about. Yeah. So that's a man of experience, you know? So. Um, and you know, for anyone that comes from Japan and mm. takes over at Arsenal and does what he did, um, mm. and laid the foundation for I'd say our modern phase at Arsenal, you know, mm. I know he got a lot of stick before he left, but yeah, that he did, man yeah. it is responsible for for a lot that we have today. So oh. you know, we forever grateful. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I remember, you know, having those kind of. <laughs> Those annoying. It's funny when you look back at those conversations at the time, but you know, being an Arsenal fan and you know living living in Ireland at the time, pretty much the two clubs that are supported over here are United and Liverpool. That's just kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. There's a few others thrown in there, but everywhere you went, you know, when you know, you know, what it's like when you you're a bloke. You, oh, who do you support? Especially in, in an office environment because you're trying to find something to to kind of link up with and chat about to to pass the hours, right? <laughs> so everyone would always be like, "Oh, you Wenger in a Wenger out." And it used to drive me up the wall because we had that division, but I could never say either or. I was, Steve will laugh because I always say that in a lot of situations, I'd sit on the fence, right? <laughs> and get splintered in my say, eyes. I yeah. Was say that, that really <laughs> shocked that you would have uh, yeah. excited about that. No, but it, my indecisiveness came from the fact that I think Ryan will probably agree, and it's just a case of what that man did in the first 10 years. And I felt so privileged and lucky to, you, you all agree with this, Ryan, as well, because you played in it, right? You saw it firsthand. But even just to be a fan at that time, and, you know, I just, you know, my footballing kind of education, and when I started to make sense to me is basically when George Graham got done for the bungs. That was my first real season that I remember. But to watch, we were really poor then as well. Um, not great. I think we finished 12th that season or something. Didn't play attractive football. But what he did in those first 10 years and transitioned the club and changed everything about it. You know, we became respected. People wanted to be like us. People were envious and jealous of what football we played and how we went and how we conducted ourselves. I just, I could never give that out because I was just like, you know what? He can, he can, call, it, he can call it a day whenever he wants. He's earned that right. And that's how I felt. I just felt like he could call it a day. And I could, look, now I can say, yeah, he probably should have left a little bit earlier, right? And I, I mean that with the utmost respect because it didn't, for multiple factors, um, didn't quite end up the way I think most of us would have wanted to watch him bow out the way he did. I remember being at the Burnley game for his last game at the Emirates and I felt really sad, not for the fact he was leaving necessarily, but just it was I was more sad about how it got to the point it did mm-hmm. and how the fan base kind of... Were, look, football fans are very... Can be very fickle, right? And they can forget things very quickly because it's a result based a results-based business, as we know. But it did sadden me how how much a lot of our fans just kind of threw away the memories and the 
just everything that he brought to to the club. The, I mean, it, how did you kind of feel about it all? Because obviously you worked under him, so there's more of a personal connection there. Um, which yeah, a- I, I feel like you have to remove emotion from it. You have mm. to. You have to look at it realistically, statistically, etc. Um, so, you know, blind loyalty, I'm not going to say Wenger should be there um, forever, you know, yeah. like everybody has a, an expiry date. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, listen, he stayed till then. Um, it probably was the right time to go. Um, mm. But, yeah, I was sad because I've worked under him um, but at the same time, um, you know, he also made his decision as well. Um, I feel like media played a huge part in that because, yeah. you know, social media, you know, people share content. Um, and it let's, not, let's just and, very quickly not open that kind of worms of social media right. around that time. Jesus Christ. Exactly. But, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, overall... Um, it was the right time and he left and, you know, he's doing really well at FIFA. Um, and I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I'm just thankful yeah. for what he gave us as a football club. 100%. Yeah. I couldn't be more grateful for what that, that man did um, for Arsenal, to be honest. See this, the FIFA thing, I'm, I'm on the fence about that. Um, I wish he didn't work for FIFA <laughs> purely because of who they are and kind of, as we've all seen recently with the documentary, if you haven't watched it yet, it's, to be honest, it just re-clarified what we already kind of yeah. already know, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah, no, I, I wish... And actually, is there a part of you that really hopes he gets to come back and watch a game? I, I just find it mad he hasn't been back once. Mm. Not once. Um, I'd, I'd that, love to see it. Is that true? No, surely. Not one game? I don't, don't think he's watched one game. That's Unless, crazy. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm pretty sure he has never been back to the Emirates since he left. Ryan, one, one thing I wanted to ask, actually, um, obviously you came through in a period where, you know, we saw a lot of success. Every position was pretty much a superstar, right, in, in their own right. Um, was there ever uh, like an element of feeling like a little bit starstruck or was it just basically you're at work, these are people you work with, you play football with them every day? Is it just the norm or was there ever like anyone where you felt a bit like intimidated by him? No, I mean, of course, you know, the likes of Burkamp, Keown, Parla, the guys mm. that had been there a long time. Um, yeah, like Burkamp for me is my favourite um, Arsenal player um, of all time. So, you know, being close quarters with him initially was, you know, pretty... Um, incredible um, but again there's a job at hand and you got to go out and prove to those guys that you should be there mm. that's what it's about really isn't it it's just proving yourself and yeah I guess that mm-hmm. comes back to that ego we were talking about earlier everyone's ego you you want to prove yourself to those people whether you are starstruck from them initially or not like you said I think it's as soon as you go out onto a pitch whether it's training whether it's a match you just want to perform to the best of your ability and you don't, it kind of probably goes out the out your thoughts a little bit, but it's funny you say, you know, we haven't even mentioned Thierry Henry yet on this podcast, <laughs> uh, on this episode, which is mad when you think about it. Um, but I can understand why you go for Burkamp 
I admired Burkamp like you wouldn't believe. Just technically, it was just fantastic vision. Yeah, just a phenomenal player. And one thing I always loved about Dennis was he had that he had that dirty side to him, didn't he? He wanted, he, yeah, you know, he loved loved to throw an elbow. He wouldn't mind getting stuck in. Um, yeah. So yeah, he really did fit into the English game remarkably well once he got off the ground. So. Just moving on, um, obviously, unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we don't like to talk about it, but it's kind of one of the things we have to, because your career did, unfortunately, hit a bit of a stumbling block, didn't it? Um, and you suffered a, a pretty nasty injury, to say the least, mm-hmm. um, which curtailed your career uh, for, in, in multiple ways, not only from, you know, your development at Arsenal, but even the longevity of how long you could actually play for. Um, if, if I'm correct in saying, I think the doctors told you initially you probably only be able to play to you're about 26, 27. Is that about correct? About right? 20, 26. Yeah. Which is when what? I actually stopped playing as well. Yeah. Jesus. So they were pretty accurate. That's for sure. At least I didn't give you yeah. false hope, I guess. Um, but yeah. can you just talk us through that injury. And it, I think it was, it was two, two ligaments interior and exterior. There was multiple. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, cartilage was completely torn away. Um, mm. and my medial ligament was grade three as well. Like my knee was just in absolute pieces. Um, so even like people always say to me, are oh, you know, when you carried on playing, um, why did you, why did you go from club to club? I couldn't pass medicals for one, two, mm. I couldn't like, I basically lied to clubs and acted as if I was okay, but I was taking anti-inflammatories all the time. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't, you know, able to complete 90 minutes, if I'm being honest, without pain. So Jeez. the fact that I carried on as long as I did shocked me even. So, um, mm. so yeah, I mean, crazy injury um, obviously affected, you know, my trajectory um and my you know um the duration of my career as well but ultimately I had a career and you know you kind of have to take positives from it because you know I'm never one to say oh what if I didn't get injured or it it happened I have to deal with it it's a Mm -hmm. reality and you know move forward with it it's unfortunate um, but it, but it is what it is. Yeah, mental just... health is something like that we don't really talk about in football. Um, in terms of like injuries and the amount of footballers who, since you're engaged, don't necessarily make it um, into a professional level, do they sort of is is that something that they talk about and help you? Because it must be it must be really tough for people that you're engaged to sort of you know when you're you've got everything pinned on, 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 you know, this, this future and this career than to, to have sort of the rug <clears throat> pulled into your, under your feet sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'd say back then, um, not really, if I'm being completely honest and being the age that I was, um, and looking at, you know, how, how important, um, men- mental health is now. Um, mm. I kind of wish I had something like that back then, but, Back then, it was more of a, um, you know, footballers were looked at like gladiators. You throw them in the in in the um, into the mix and and expect them to get on with it. 
um, and whatever the outcomes are, the outcomes are. But it's changed mm. a lot. It's changed dramatically since then. Um, but I really, really didn't have any sort of help with it um, in terms of, you know, the mental side, at least. You know, it's like it's almost like another test. How's he going to come out of this? Um, so that's how it was. And, you know, unfortunately, that was the way back then. Um, but I'm glad to see it's changed for the better today. Yeah, no, they've definitely taken a turn for the better. Um, it's spoken about more widely, for sure. Than, I mean, like you said, back then, it was a different era, right? It was, especially, and it's wrong, because you say, it's particularly if you're a bloke and you just didn't shut your feelings away, didn't you? Uh, and, yeah. you know, I, I've listened to other podcasts and I think if you've ever listened to that Peter, Peter Crouch podcast, even if he is an ex-Tottenham player, his podcast is pretty good, I'll give him that. But, um, you know, he spoke about how brutal it was, especially for someone like him, because... You know, he's really tall, slim. You know, he used to get the piss ripped out of him every week um, at games. I remember even watching Arsenal in a... I remember seeing him play when he was really young for Pan... Not Pan, sorry, for QPR. I think we we were playing an FA Cup game um, down at Loftus Road and just seeing this guy. And I was like, even... And again, because it's just how you were as a football fan. Like, I remember just shouting abuse at players like when I was like 12. I was yeah. just normal, right? And you, you still get that to a certain extent, but just how brutal it can be, you know, not just even if you get an injury and you've got to take that step back and, you know, think about how you're going to progress forward, but it's just even in the changing room on the training pitch, like you said, you had to take abuse from Mark here, right? <laughs> and like you said, some people go into their shell and then some people take it on the chin and just go forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is good to, to see that we are talking about it. What, one thing about your injury though, which I, I kind of wanted to ask you and look, as we kind of said before we come on, it's, you know, it'd be nearly 20 years ago, that, that injury that you suffered. Was it, is it January or February, you said? February 2004, yeah. yeah. February 2004. Um, you know, that seems so long ago. Um, do you think if, if you had what that injury said to say today, would you have had a longer career? Do you think it would have, you would have had better, better medical attention? Because it's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't it? For sure, over the last number of years. Yeah, it has. And, you know, a few people have asked me that over the years. And um, my answer to them is simply no. Um, I think it could have been managed better um, mm. with what's around today. Um, but in terms of, because to put it in perspective, prior to the injury, um, absolutely no issues whatsoever. Post-injury, um passing with the inside inside of my foot shooting um, mm. getting to like half time and you know everyone's sitting down I'm having to like move around because I don't want my joint to get stiff because then yeah. it hurts you know I don't think anything would have saved it if I'm being honest because the the trauma inside the knee was too uh, great so mm. it, it just wasn't salvageable um, so yeah, yeah. it's probably the cartilage that done it the most then because obviously mm. ligament injuries are a lot different these days. And basically why I'm asking that is um, there's a, a guy who plays, he's from my hometown uh, back in the West Country and he, he plays for Villa, Tyron Mings. And he suffered a really um, awful knee injury when he was playing at Bournemouth. Don't, I think it was similar to yours, but he didn't have the cartilage damage. Uh, and obviously, look, he's he's been back playing fine. I know he was out for a, a, you know over a year with, with the injury he had. Um but yeah, that's just why it kind of popped into my mind. But after your injury, obviously, as you touched on, um, 
you went on and played for a number of other clubs. Uh, it's so kind of refreshing to be honest you are about how that went and why you played for so many clubs. And it makes sense, right? You've got to look after number one, regardless whether that's in football world, whether that's just in your own working career, whatever it is. But, you know, you went on to play for, for Leicester, Derby, Millwall. I've got to ask what was Millwall like before I move on to the others. Let's, let's not talk about Millwall. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, enough uh, said, enough said. Um, Southampton Palace, but I think more interestingly, you know, I, I've watched you. There was a you know a ten minute documentary done on on it's on YouTube actually. You did with Goal a number of years ago, which I'd highly point you in the direction to if you're listening to, to just go and Google Ryan Smith Goal. Um, the interview you did with them was really cool. But one of the things which which kind of stood up for me was, and you spoke really fondly of it, and this was before the trend, right? You went over to the MLS, um, yeah. where you actually played some of the you know. I, I believe, in it, to your own words, was some of the best football of your career. Um, and you probably had the most fun. Uh, and you actually played a lot of games while you were there. Um, what? How did it come about? You know, again, because, you know, English players back then just didn't go abroad, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, what, what was it like I, to go I, over there? I was... Uh, I was kind of, So, all the clubs I joined um, in England prior... Post-Arsenal and prior to going to America... Um, like I said earlier on, I I didn't I couldn't secure long term deals because of my knee. So I'm doing medical, and and they had me by the balls because um, they knew I was at a disadvantage with my knee, and, and they could use that as le- uh, leverage in negotiation. So mm-hmm. I never had a long term deal, um, and I just had enough of that, and I just wanted a change of scenery, etc. And luckily enough, um, attracted interest from Kansas City. And they came over to watch me for Palace. Um, and, yeah. They invited me over because I wasn't too... Um, I wanted to see the level um, facilities, etc. So I said to them, look, mm. I'll come over um, mm. with a pre-agreement. Um but I want to see what it's like first because yeah. you can't just say I'm going to sign for this club and you've never been there, um, especially on the other side of the world in a new-ish league. So I yeah. went out there, enjoyed it. Um, you know, the football was really good. And, you know, a lot of the time people's, um, the misconception about the MLS is that there's a lot of Central Americans there. Mm. So, and they're technical. So they add um, and, and, and raise the technical level of, of the league mm. and the teams. Um, so it was, it was, again, it was a bit of an eye-opener and I really enjoyed it. Um, they managed me really good. They managed mm. me really good with my knee injury. Um, so they were the only club to really and truly look after me how I needed looking after. Um, yeah. which, which goes which a long way. Exactly, mm. and why I played some of the best football because, you know, it wasn't right. We're going to do um, the bleak test today, or like we're going to run up hills, or we're going to do X, Y, Z. Like really, mm. really not good for my knee. Um, they would tailor it, and there would be days where I didn't train, um, etc. So they managed me really mm. well. But the life, the 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 league, seeing the whole country, yeah. Um, it was just an amazing experience. I really enjoyed it. And to this day, I've got, you know, a lot of friends out there um, 
And really and truthfully, I mean, the likes of a good friend of mine, Bradley Wright Phillips, who played in New York, he's a legend there now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He doesn't he hold the record. I, yeah, he did. And he told me I inspired him because we played at Southampton. So mm-hmm. he said to me, you know, you moving out there inspired me to go out there. So, you know, it was a, it was a very good experience for me and I really enjoyed it. And now I'm working with clubs out in the MLS. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it is quality to kind of hear that, and, you know, to to hear that you had such a great experience. But I think, you know, as soon as you said it, I just can't help but that that's how it should be, right? You got treated as an individual in with special circumstances because sometimes you need that, right? And that made you feel, I hate to use the term, it's a bit cliche, but you probably felt at home, right? You, you were welcomed into their family, you know, all those sort of cheesy sayings, but it does go such a long way. And one of the things I always used to admire um obviously look talking of you know Cristiano Ronaldo with one of the things that blew my mind with him and how he used to manage himself was he'd pull out a training like if he was in the middle of a drill and he felt his body being like I'm done he'd pull out and he'd say it I'm done Mm -hmm. I used to admire that but I'm just thinking that's from your point of view they did that for you in a way because again back then it would have been a little bit different and you would have probably felt obliged to complete sessions where possible right and probably push yourself I'm sure you pushed yourself through that pain barrier and you know, push your body over the limit which you know that it's not the right way to to manage yourself because every every individual even if you're fully fit or not their body is different right and it will respond exactly. differently to certain situations and certain training sessions and drills um so to hear that you know they did manage you in the correct way that's you know that's brilliant but was there any particular memory from your time in the mls or any funny stories or, that you'd like to share with us or uh i'll tell yeah well um so David Rocastle, his cousin, um, I lived with and I'm really good friends with till this day. So he played out there with me, um, oh, which is incredible. Um, mm. Funny stories. Uh, I mean, not. There's probably nice. many that you don't want to open up about, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Going yeah, abroad I'll keep, I'll at that keep time. Them to myself. Yeah, yeah, keep yeah, keep you know. <laughs> <laughs> keep that under the hat. So look, uh, but yeah, after I mean, it your, was, it was just a great experience overall. Yeah, no, I can imagine and going abroad and again just doing something you love in a different country where again you know we've all been to America. It's a little bit different, right? But the language is the same. You know, you can get by. It's not as if you're going to Spain where there's you know cultural differences that are vastly different yeah. to what we have at home, or you have the language barriers. So yeah, being able to fit in and. I'm sure the weather was better as well, which isn't exactly hard, to be perfectly honest with you. But <laughs> after your football career then, um, and kind of looking at the present day, um, you know, you've got your your own business these days. Uh, as you touched on earlier, you know, you're working in the game still, which is great. You know, I say, you know, you said, it's, I'm happy what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. It's, it's great to be able to enjoy what you're doing. And I said, yeah. It's not as fun as probably selling IT training software, but there we go. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm living the dream. What can I say? But you've got your own sport and talent agency. I'd love yeah. to kind of hear a little bit more about that. And how did you how did you come about that? Was it something you'd always wanted to do? Because I guess you probably started thinking about these things much earlier than what most normal players would, because you knew your career yeah. was going to come to an abrupt Pre- end. Right? Precisely, precisely. So, with the experiences that I had during my career with <clears throat> agents and seeing what players go through. 
um, it, it was always the intention for me to be an agent um, and to set up a company that I felt does it the right way. So our business mm. pillars are honesty, integrity and transparency. Um, mm. Three things that I think are paramount if you're going to go into this industry. Are these um, your non, non-negotiables, right? Is that what you're telling me? Non, non-negotiables, <laughs> absolutely. So, so yeah, we wanted to start an agency um, and, you know, run it with those pillars. Um, so we work primarily here in, in England. Um, and like I mentioned, I do a bit out in the States as well. Um, so nice. we work, we, our sort of model was to work with younger players and grow with them. Um, as opposed to try and attract, you know, the agency world is very murky, very dirty at times. And yeah. a lot of people, you know, give players money to sign with them, etc. which, you know, I just would never do. So mm. we decided that we wanted to grow with players from a young age mm. um, and, and uh, go on the journey with them um, and have success. So, so yeah, it's going well. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm at games all the time i actually go to borum with quite a lot to watch the 21s um, yeah, see that. yeah and i go to hayland i'm actually going on saturday to watch the 16s v west ham so so yeah um oh, so they're uh, back playing well as, each other now is it is they're yeah. allowed to play each other <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so i'm 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 i get around i get around no that must be really cool and it, it you know it's kind of going but yeah full circle what we started talking about at the start and you're doing it from the outside this time though, again, with an experienced head on your shoulders. And it's, you know, I was asking you earlier, you know, if you had to pick out players, who would you pick? Now you get to do that as, as a career. So that must be kind of cool. Um, and kind of, it must be great as well, because once you start to see someone flourish um, from, a, you know, a young age, you've taken them on. And again, like treating them the right way. We Again, we come back to that and making people feel at home in a particular scenario or particular environment if you can help them with that and, you know, project their career in the right direction, I guess that must be really, really satisfying as well. Is yeah. there any players that, you know, you, you've got on the books at the moment, we should keep our eyes out. You're going to be future, future stars. Yeah. I mean, there's a lad that I had, he was, I have, he was at Brighton. Um, mm. I moved him to Chelsea in the summer. Um, his name is Zach Sturge. He plays for England as well. Under. Nice. 19s so so yeah um he's definitely one to keep an eye on he's a left back um and there's some others as well um i still don't have an arsenal player just yet but i will soon i'm pretty it's gonna, sure it's gonna happen isn't it it's yeah coming, I, I, it's, you definitely want that again it's just i guess it's just you carry that that with you for life right as a supporter if you can in any way work with the club or help the club i'm sure you probably want to do that right Absolutely. And I still maintain very good relationships at, you know, London Colney and Hayland and, you know, speak to a lot of staff at the club, a lot of them. Um, So, so yeah, that, um, that connection's still there. Nice. It's it's great to hear that, you you know, your, your career is going well post football as well. Um, You know, and I wish you all the the success uh, with growing the talent agency as much as you possibly can. Just before we wrap up, um, I know we've probably gone over an hour a lot of time with you, Ryan. I really appreciate you, you know, you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Finishing it on an Arsenal basis, I've just got to ask you four very good questions. Uh, and that is, what's been your game of the season so far? Game of the season? I'd say after we lost the United game, um, 
I think it would have been easy for us to lose that Brentford game. Mm. Um, the bounce back ability in that game was fantastic, but I'm going to go the game after that, which was against Tottenham, the three yeah. one. Um, it was a good day, yeah. It was a good day. It was a brilliant day. I had a few drinks that day. Um, <laughs> good man. So yeah, man. I'd, say, I'd say the Arsenal Tottenham game for sure. Nice. That was actually. I've only been to a couple. As you, you know, I fly over as, as often as I can. It's not not as often as I would like. Uh, but that was one of the ones I was lucky to to be at. Steve was there as well. Uh, I think we had a few drinks as well that day. To be honest with you. Um, but yeah, Deserve. great. Yeah, absolutely. It was an early early start as well. Um, but luckily, the Arsenal had the. Was it either buy one get one free or half price pints? Steve, you'll always remember this because when it's big, you're there. It was the bug off. <coughs> Sorry. It was the bug the, off. Uh, on the Camden House, if I believe. Yeah, was solid. Um, if, if I remember that, you were in the stairwell for most of that. Uh, let's not bring that up. <laughs> I was, I was uh, encouraged by a certain someone. Again, there's no need to bring that up, Steve. Jesus Christ. If you, want to, if you want to talk about what we do in the concourses, I won't mention Villa away last year, will I? No. Yeah, okay. Fair point. <laughs> point well made. Ryan, I'll tell you about that afterwards, mate. Um, goal of this season, what's been the pick of the bunch for you so far? Same game, Partey. Mm. Which was better, though? Just, just take the con- you know, the game context out of it. The one against Forest or the one against Spurs? Spurs. Very similar. Yeah, okay. Spurs. He said it just, out just, further, right? I can't take the context out of it. It has to be oh. that goal. <laughs> I asked you to, but fair enough. You're, you're the guest here, so I'll, I'll allow you away with that one. Um, who's been your player of the season so far? Saliba. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yes, I mean, you could pick many, right? But yeah, Saliba, I think, for yeah. everybody. Yeah, I mean, grade. listen, it's close. It's close. Mm. Um, Shaka's up there. I mean, the way he plays, um, mm. Gabriel Jesus is up there because the way he plays allows for other players to to come into the game as well so yeah you know there's there's a few names there you know there's there's more than that Odegaard I mean we, we could go on but for yeah. me Saliba just because it's his first proper season and um, yeah. yeah just that's my choice yeah no I, I can, can disagree with it it looks like he's been playing centre defence for Arsenal for the last 10 years alone the last mm-hmm. couple of months to be honest with you so yeah he's been phenomenal revelation at the back which is great um, and then finally very quickly what are your post-World Cup expectations for the Arsenal? What would you like to see? Or what do you expect? Listen, I, I think, um, you know, where we are right now is absolutely brilliant, amazing, you know, super happy with what we're doing on the pitch or what we have done uh, prior to this World Cup. However, I will be cautious and say that I would like top four minimum Mm-hmm. I think that's achievable, um, but of course, again, you know, I want the title. But you know, it's yeah, a it's a long road. It's a long road to that. But yeah, you know, if I if I'm being realistic, I'd say post World Cup expectations probably top four. Top four, I think. Yeah, we're all afraid of saying title challenge, right? And I think I spoke to to James, who is sometimes on this podcast with us, but he's on holiday for the fifty millionth time this year. Um, in Peru and um, we deserve to be in that conversation is basically what I said we've earned the right to be in that conversation we do yeah think about it I think 
top four was definitely my expect. You know, not my expectation, but was my hope for the coming into this season. I think that would have been realistically most of our thought going into it. And you know, goalposts change, right? Um, throughout the season, that's just how you know results-based business. If you get the results, then obviously you might end up somewhere different. But do you not think though, if we didn't qualify for top four now in the current scenario that we're in, would that not be a bit of a failure? I know that's a tough question. But... It would be. Like, let's be honest. It's 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 a it's a very tough question. But it, if we didn't finish top four, mm. from where we are a, now, it yeah. would be an issue. Yeah, it would be an issue. Like, it's, there's no hiding from that. Um, yeah. Because we can't we can't say um, and use the World Cup as as a bit of an excuse uh, an excuse if, if the players come back and they're not up to speed or what have you. Every club mm-hmm. is on a pause. Yeah. So it's like. We can't even say that. I mean, injuries can play a part in that, but mm-hmm. um, we have to have top four. I mean, listen, we're first and we're playing mm. unbelievably well. I'm just Five being very clear. cautious with my assessment yeah. and what I expect, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, and I think that's just ingrained in this, maybe, you know, the old classic saying that we've said a million times to ourselves or in the pub before or after a game is to hope that kills us. Mm, <laughs> we're, just, exactly. we're just trying not to let it kill us for a change, but it's... I don't know, we're playing great football. We're in a great position. You know, if we get, if we finish fourth, you know, or third and get automatic qualification for the Champions League next season, you've got that back at the carpet next year. I think we'd all be really happy with that because it allows us to, to go another level, doesn't it? It allows exactly. us to develop the squad a bit further. Um, because I do think if we had it this year, Champions League, that is, if we had made it, we'd have struggled. We'd have really struggled in the league and in the Champions League because uh, yeah, the squad depth totally just wasn't agree. there. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But look, that's all I've got today, Ryan. Look, I really, really appreciate you, um, as Steve said, for for joining us um, on on the show today. It's been honestly, mate, it's been it's gonna be great to to chat to you, especially just being able to, to go behind the scenes from an Arsenal perspective um, and listen to your stories as well. And you know, being an Arsenal fan yourself, you li- as Steve said, you lived the dream for all of us, walking out onto the you know the Highbury pitch and being able to knock a ball about with some invincibles. I mean, Jesus Christ, I was excited when I was a mascot as a kid, nine years old, scoring past David Seaman. But to be able to go and do it properly, do you know what I mean? Le- um, that's levels, that is, mate. That is levels, isn't it? <laughs> I pinged one past him, top top bins. He, he wasn't saving it, no chance. Absolutely no <laughs> Not that he let him in back then, do you know what I mean? But there we go. But um, no, like I said, we really appreciate you jumping on. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you. No, thank you, guys. Honestly, real, real pleasure from my end as well. Thank you. Nice one. Well, look, as always, guys, we'd just like to thank you for taking time to tune in and listen to the podcast. We we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, Keep an eye on our social media feeds for the next podcast. We're not quite sure when that's going to be, but hopefully it'll be next week because Steve's got himself a new laptop. But until then, look after yourselves, look after each other. Catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.